right, guys, it's time for your favorite African football podcast on the planet. That's right, it's on the whistle time. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi, and with me today, I got the best over 35 player in Grey's Essex, Courtney Fries, the man who won the Premier Soccer League in South Africa, and a man who's doing amazing things on the field, even though he's older than 35. Courtney, how are you doing, brother? Zane, happy to be here again. Absolutely fantastic. It is beautiful weather in Grays. It's overcast, cold, and a lot of frost outside. I'm so happy. You're from Maritzburg, my friend. You don't know what good weather is like, so I know you're supporting this. But you know what? We're absolutely buzzing for this week's podcast, Courtney, because we, we have somebody that you know pretty well, a man who was part of the Manning Rangers Miracle Men, a man who's coached in South Africa, and a man who's got many a story. Who do we have on the pod today, Quartz? Well, we're very lucky to have been able to get the current guest. Uh, we have my friend, someone who, when I moved to Manning Rangers, was just a, a gentleman on and off the field for me. Uh, a very good guy. Welcome, Mr. Clinton Lawson. Welcome, Clinton. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Zane. Thank you, um, uh, Courtney, for this introduction. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you guys. Clinton, uh, thank you for making time to talk to us. Uh, ever since we started our podcast, I said to Zane, I would love to get you on, especially with what you've done in the game. Um, and also of how when I moved to Rangers as a youngster, how you as a senior player treated me, which is which I'll never really forget. So, Thank you for making the time to talk to us. Um, and I think let's just get straight into the questions. Are you okay? I'm ready. Anytime. Shoot away. Okay. So, so some of the things I wanted to ask, Clinton, is where did your managerial career start? Because knowing you while we were playing, it's not really something you spoke about. So where did it all come about, this managerial bug that you have now got? Yeah, it's, it's actually a funny story how it all started, Courtney, um, because um, I was at Orlando Pirates from 1999 to 2001, and uh, I had a serious ankle injury, and after my injury, I was um, approached by Rangers to once again, after representing them for eight seasons, I was asked to come and help the team save relegation. Um, so myself and, and Simon Makubela, who you know as well, um, were the two players at Orlando Pirates who were former Manning Rangers players. And we felt, listen, we, we have some kind of duty to go back and help our former team. You know, they were sitting bottom of the table. And um, at the time, Clive Barker was, um, was coaching the team. So we went back and um, sat down with management. And uh, we were told that, listen, we can't afford your salary that you're earning at Pirates. Um, so we took salary cuts, both, both of us, and um, we were basically told that if we helped the team save relegation, that um, we would get a bonus, um, which at the time was 50,000 rand. Now, 50,000 rand back in 2002 was a lot of money. So um, at the end of the season, in the last 10 seasons, if my, my memory serves me correct, I think we only lost two games. So we helped save the team from relegation, both myself and Simon. And um, we were then called into the office at the end of the season. Um, 
you know Afzal Khan, Chico, um, Chico Lazarus. Courtney's laughing because uh, he's also experienced the other side of Afzal. <laughs> so basically, um, I was sat down and I was, uh, I was told that, listen, uh, Clinton, firstly, thank you for doing such a great job on your return to the club. And, um, you know, you, you one of the longest serving players in the club's history together with Mark Davies. Um, but um, I was told in no uncertain terms that the club just did not have the 50K to pay me. Um, the club was cash strapped. And um, what could I do? I'm sitting looking at the board of directors, um, expecting to get my check, but also to discuss a contract for the following season. Um, but um, something just popped in my head. And um, I just basically said to them, listen, gentlemen, um, I think it's best we part ways. If you could just give me my clearance, I'll be out of here. And, and that's exactly what I done. That is the day I got my clearance. It was uh, 2003 from um, Manning Rangers. I still had intentions of continuing playing. But a few weeks, and, and this is how um, this story starts, a few weeks after having my clearance in my hand, I get a call from the late Lawrence Ngobani. Lawrence Ngobani was, uh, Courtney knows him very well, he was affectionately known as the Big Bear. He also was my manager at Orlando Pirates, and he was integral to me moving to Orlando Pirates as a player. And he calls me to say to me, listen, a guy he knows has just bought an NFD team. Uh, that's one division below the, the, the Premier League. Um, and he'd like me to coach. I said to him, listen, Lawrence, I'm still fit. I'm 33 years old and I'd like to continue playing. Um, so he says, would you consider player coach, a player coach role? I said, sure. So I met with management. And that's how it all started. Um, I started my first season as, a, as, as player coach. Uh, found it very difficult, by the way, because when you're having a bad day at the office, what do, how do you get your players and, and, and you know, correct them? So, um, yeah, after the first season, uh, I went into management and said to them that I'd like to continue playing and I'd rather be an assistant and ask them to bring in a, a head coach. And that's exactly what happened. Boniface Doe, a Liberian coach, then came through and he was a head coach. I was assistant and player. And I spent uh, three seasons, three very good seasons in terms of cutting my teeth in the in the NFD uh, because um, we we went through so much as a club, you know. Um, in the beginning, everything was rosy, and then a little later, um, the club went through some financial difficulties. So there were moments when we didn't receive salaries, and. Um, there were times as well, my wife just reminded me not too long ago, when we were making meals, pre-match meals for the players. My wife would make spaghetti and mince and, um, the, you know, we couldn't see the players go to matches without pre-match meals. So, you know, these are the things we've done in the NFD. So I spent uh, three seasons with Durban Stars and a further two with Nutty Lions thereafter. Um, so five seasons, you know, and exactly the same thing happened at, at the next club, Nati Lions. It was, you know, continuous problems with non-payment of salaries, late payments of salaries, half salaries, having to also, again, cook meals for the players. So 
you know, these are the, the, the trying times that we faced in the NFD back then. Um, yeah, and um, that's basically um, how it all started for me. Clinton, nobody can ever say that uh, football management is easy. Uh, just listening to what you've just said to us, preparing pre-match meals, uh, that's unbelievable. Um, and these are the trials and tribulations that you go through in your preparation for management. Uh, but you touched on something a bit earlier when you said you were the player coach, assistant coach. Um, how did you... What did you have to change in yourself as you moved more to becoming the manager and less of the player? The transition is not an easy one, Courtney, I must be honest. You know, from a, 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 a player to then managing the same players you were teammates with, you know, that, that was not an easy, an easy transition. But um, what I must say that um, what held me in, in, in very good stead was the fact that, you know, I had so many great mentors during my playing career. You know, I had the likes of Gordon Egerson, Clive Barker, um, the late Eddie Lewis from, from, from England, you know, Mike McCobb, who was my uh, agent post his coaching career and still is. And, um, you know, Ronald Kwandawiri from, from Zimbabwe. Um, I can go on and on. Augusto Palacios, the Peruvian, Peruvian coach, played at the World Cup for Peru, is now um, heading the youth academy at Orlando Pirates. You know, these are just some of the, 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 the coaches that, um, you know, I, 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 I had such a good relationship with, but I knew very early on, and, and, and this is a lot, uh, something that a lot of people don't know. When I was 19 um, years old, um, Mike McCobb had a, an academy. It was called Bootlaces Academy here in Durban. And um, at the age of 19, I basically started coaching uh, in the evenings when I was free, I started coaching um, that academy. So coaching for me started very early. And then from coaching uh, the academy, my ex-amateur team, where I'm from, a suburb I'm from called Wentworth, which Courtney, I think, knows of, um, very notorious uh, area here in Durban. Um, so I then went to coach my brother and and and. Uh, the team that I played for uh, before I turned pro. So coaching for me started very early from 19, 20, 21, I started. I would steal sessions from my coaches and then take them back to my amateur club and try to replicate those, those training sessions. If we know somebody like Pep Guardiola is about possession football, mm -hmm. Jose Mourinho is about sitting defensively and hurting you on the counter-attack. Some of us say parking the bus, not Spurs mm -hmm. fans. Um, if I ask Clinton Larson, what is Clinton Larson's management style and playing philosophy? How would you explain that? Well, firstly, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that you've got to earn the respect of your players, not as a coach, firstly, but as a human being. You know, first and foremost, once you've got the respect of your players for being a good person, um, without them, with, with, with them knowing as well that there's a fine line and they should not cross it. But um, I've always felt that the coaches that got the best out of me 
were those that communicated with me in a respectful manner, firstly, and and were and their doors were open constantly to 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 being approached and discussing the game, and and that's something I've taken from from a lot of the coaches that um, that helped me in that in that manner. Uh, but my philosophy is, I think it's a mix of the two. Um, basically, uh, because of also the influence of some of the coaches I've had, you know, there's there's a familiar saying in in, in football that says um, successful teams are, are built on solid defensive foundations. And I'm a true believer in this. You know, you got to get your team set up correctly in order to to win matches. You can't be leaking in goals and trying to win matches and play catch up. You know, so I'm a firm believer. Um, in making sure, firstly, structure. You've got the right structure. You know, depending on the type of team you inherit as well, that can play a role. But generally, um, because I was a midfielder, I want to have a ball-playing team, you know, a team that keeps the ball and manipulates opponents and moves them around, looking for openings. And speed is also an important factor to me. You know, every team that um, I've coached in South Africa, I've always been known as a coach who plays very quickly on transition because you've got to expose teams that are out of shape. And the one way you can do that is to hurt them with pace and with numbers going forward, you know, and um, um, that's part of my philosophy, but it's a balance of the two. It's a mix of the two, making sure your team is structured, defensively organized, a team that is comfortable on the ball. Clinton, just listening to your philosophy, um, which is very good, you know, you talk about basically my philosophy works with the right players mm. and my, my clear structure is there. You've also spoken about the influential mentors that you've had uh, through your career. With all this, now when does the chance in the Premier League come to you? Well, um, basically, I was at Nutty Lions. Uh, this is after my fifth to sixth, five and a half to six seasons in the NFD. I then get a call from Quentin Jetu. Quentin Jetu, you probably know him from Manning Rangers days, Courtney. Quentin used to take my boots, carry my boots into the stadium, by the way. Uh, we both from we both from the same area, Wentworth. We both grew up in Wentworth, and that's how he started. I started getting him into the stadium, you know, without having to pay a, an entrance fee. He'd carry my bag, he'd walk in with me, and and that's how it all started for him. He then became friends with Avzal and Param Joseph, and next thing you know, he's in charge of security. He's assistant manager, and um, next thing he's. Um, manager of Maritzburg United in the in the NFD and they get promoted to to the PSL so to cut a long story short Gordon Iggerson gets appointed as the coach this is in the 2008-2009 season gets uh, appointed as the coach of Maritzburg United now I spent nine seasons with Gordon in my 13-year playing career, I spent nine of the 13 years with Gordon as my coach. Eight between 2000, um, when I joined Manning Rangers, 2000, sorry, I'm going 2009 to the 1900s, Courtney. <laughs> it was, um, it was 91, 91, sorry, 92 when I started 
Um, and then I left Manning Rangers in 98 to go to Orlando Pirates for three seasons, came back for another season. And Gordon also coached me to a league winning title at Orlando Pirates. So um, I knew him very well, you know, and Gordon gets the job at Maritzburg United. I get a call from Quinton asking me if I'd be firstly in interested in being interviewed. Um, I was employed at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't expect a Premier League team to come to come in for me. And I was probably at the time, mid to late 30s. Yeah, probably uh, mid 36, 37, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I go up to Maritzburg. I drive with my wife. We go to the Golden Horse Casino. And um, I meet Gordon. I get interviewed. So Gordon asks me the question, why should I employ you as my assistant? I basically said to him, because if there's one person that can complete this, your sentences, it's me. I know you so well. You know, um, I know your coaching philosophy. The moment you start speaking about a certain area of the game, I know exactly where you're going with it. So I said, uh, and I've got the experience. I've coached in the NFD for five seasons. Um, so if you need somebody with that NFD experience, you need somebody that knows you and you need somebody that you can trust. Um, I suppose I'm your man. Um, so being the interviewer, Gordon didn't make it easy for me. Uh, he says, uh, well, let me think about it. I've got another five or six guys I'm interviewing. I said, no problem at all. You let me know if you're interested. And that was it. I left with my wife. We came back to Durban. And uh, I think it was the following evening, I get a call from Quinton saying that, you know, the club uh, are happy with me joining. And that's how it all started in the Premier League. I go up to Meritzburg. 1990, uh, sorry, 2008-9 season as assistant coach to Gordon. Um, wasn't an easy season, you know, as a small team without sponsorship, um, like most of the teams, at least seven or eight of the Premier League teams currently face these struggles, you know. Um, we really struggled. We kept our heads above water, but um, it, was a, it was a very difficult season. So... Um, it was a great first season, you know, we, 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 we survived relegation, which was the mandate in the first season. And um, so anyway, I was basically on a meager, meager assistant coach salary. And I was expected to get a 50% increase the following season once I had proven myself. And this is what happens next, gentlemen. <laughs> Pre-season, I go up to Meritzburg. Who joins as manager for my second season? Afzal Khan. The same guy who failed to pay me my 50K um, at Manning Rangers when I retired. Um, first thing that comes out of his mouth is, hi, Clinton. Um, Welcome. And I just need to tell you that um, I've been going through the books and um, some of the some of you guys have been overpaid. 
Now, can you believe I'm walking in expecting a 50% increase on my salary and I'm being told, this is pre-season in the 9-10 season, and I'm being told that your salary is going to be reduced. Gentlemen, what I, I just said to him, listen, Avzal, this is not um, what I agreed upon last season and um, can I speak to the chairman? He says, no, I'm, de I'm dealing with all the financials of the club. I'm the person to speak to. I said, well, if that is the case, Abzal, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to turn it down. And gentlemen, that's what I done. Um, he called me back and uh, there was a player actually from from Bloemfontein Celtics that was at Maritzburg that heard about what was going on and called somebody at Celtic and said, listen, I know you guys are looking for an assistant coach. Clinton's done a great job here. He's having some problems. And you know what happens next? I get a call from Celtics to say that, listen, Owen Dagama is the coach. Uh, you've got a year behind you in the Premier League as, a, as an assistant coach, Clinton. Are you keen on coming up to Bloemfontein to assist Owen? Um, so I made an excuse the following day to say um, I'm going somewhere. Something urgent has come up. And I went to Pochefstrom where Celtics were having their preseason, sat down with management and within five minutes thrashed out a, a contract. Um, except take Behind Kaiser Chiefs at that time, behind Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates, Celtic were the third best supported team in the PSL. And that really, really was a strong attraction for me, you know, being able to coach, being able to, uh, um, you know, survive that type of pressure. Uh, in that environment was really also going to, 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 to grow me further as a coach. So, you know, it was a no-brainer for me. And I accepted, came back to Maritzburg. I was to meet Celtics at training. So what I basically done was pack my car and um, went up, drove up to Peter Maritzburg went straight to the office to hand in my resignation and um, to Avzal's surprise, to Quinton's surprise, what is going on? I said to Quinton, you ask Avzal, you know what's going on? And I said, uh, I can't ex um, accept the deal that's been offered by the club. I didn't tell them that I had found, you know, other employment. Um, but what I was going to do from the office straight off the hand in my resignation was go to the training field to say my goodbyes to Gordon and the players. And Gordon himself didn't know because um, I kept it very quiet. So I went, Fadlu Davids, the current um, coach or assistant coach at Orlando Pirates, was still a player at the time. Uh, well, so was Peter Peterson, you know, just to name a few. So I then drove to training. And asked Gordon if I could say a few words. He was shocked. He didn't know what I was was there for. He was expecting me to change and be ready for training after missing a day of training. And, um, you know, I then addressed the players, addressed firstly Gordon and thanked him for the opportunity, um, but also spoke to the players who I'd, I'd really forged a very strong relationship and bond with over the 12 months I, I was with them. And, um, you know, it so, was so sad because a couple of players broke down crying and so did I because 
you know, that's the rapport that I had built with them. And um, But, yeah, I said my goodbyes. I told him exactly what had transpired in my meeting with the club and um, and that, you know, I was leaving. But I told him, you know, I'm searching for a club. I didn't tell them I was going to Celtic. My car was already packed because from Durban, you've got to go past Maritzburg to get to Bloemfontein. So my car was packed. I was leaving Peter Maritzburg and going straight to um, Bloemfontein Celtics. And that is how I left Maritzburg and joined Celtics for my second season in the PSL. And after spending one season with Owen de Gama, um, I was appointed head coach when, um, you know, he fell out of favor with management and had a very, very successful six years um, at Celtics. Now, um, for our for our listeners, Owen de Gama has uh, also been on, on the whistle, spoke highly about yourself as well. Uh, during your time with him at Bloemfontein Celtic. Mm. Um, but you you have gone through this first phase of management as an assistant coach. You've gone through uh, one of South Africans, uh, one of South Africa's legendary managers, Gordon, who's won the PSL at four clubs, if I stand corrected, four different yeah. clubs, which is a huge achievement, especially winning it with clubs like Santos and the club we played for Manning Rangers. Mm. But now you come into the top job at a big club with a huge fan base. So the demands are really tough. How do you then take that on? Yeah, well, firstly, I just want to also publicly acknowledge the, the role that De Gama played. You know, um, I'd never spoken to him prior to meeting with him um, that one day when when contract negotiations were going on, negotiations were going on. And, you know, coming into an environment to work with him, not knowing him uh, and him not knowing me and taking the risk, um, you know, I must commend him for that and also be very thankful for how he he introduced me to the club, to the players and to his coaching style as well. And um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed working with him. We worked very closely together. And I think more so than Gordon, De Gama gave me more responsibility at training, you know, and I actually have him to thank for management actually seeing my potential as a coach. Had it not been for Owen allowing me to take so many training sessions, I doubt players or management would have seen my ability, my true ability as a coach. So I really got to thank him once again, you know, for the role he has played in, in, this, in this journey. But yeah, coming back to your question, uh, firstly, as a young coach, like I said, late 30s and in the PSL, that's young to break in as a coach, mid to late 30s and uh, taking over a club with such a fan base, you know, such a passionate support um, was never going to be easy. But I was always very confident in my ability as a coach and hence, you know, I took up the challenge because the boss asked me, Jimmy Augusti, he asked me, Clinton, are you ready? I said, I've been ready from, from the day I stepped foot here because um, I knew one day if given the opportunity that I'd excel because of my coaching style and, and, and knowing the fact that I know what it takes to get the best out of players. And I, and I do believe I can make a very mediocre average team punch above its weight. And, and that's been the story of my coaching career, by the way. You know, so that's how it started. You know, first season caught me sixth 
I finished sixth in the league. Um, you know, all the bookmakers had me fired, first coach to be fired that season, you know, and uh, we punched way above our weights. We assembled a very good team. And um, I think the key, the key to, 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 to my success very early on at Bloemfontein Celtic was the fact that myself and management worked very closely together in terms of recruitment, you know, in terms of putting structures together in, in the club. Um, so, so we worked very closely together and we had an, an, a tremendous harmony. You know, today I'm still in contact with the previous owners of Bloemfontein Celtic. Such was, you know, our, our strong bond. And basically, first season six, uh, that was the 2010-11 season. And, um, you know, chuffed about the, how the way things panned out in, in my first season. Uh, management also appreciated. I just got a one-year contract, by the way, to prove myself, which I took, and then was then offered a further three-year contract uh, thereafter. And uh, second season, we just went from strength to strength. Uh, we finished fifth in the league and won the Telcom Cup in the 2012 uh, Telcom Cup, beating Sundowns in the final. So, uh, you know, it couldn't have been a better start for me at Celtics. Um, so great memories of the club, you know, great f uh, friendships formed uh, throughout the management staff. Some of the players are still still at the club, very few, but some still are, and we, we're still in contact. And, um, yeah, the best years of my, by far, of my coaching career were those seasons spent at the club. A lot of people don't know that I had two spells at Celtics, by the way. Uh, my first spell, let me tell you how it ended. So the season after, in my third season, we finished, I think it was seventh. So it's fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, top eight every season. Um, I was then called in by the same uh, boss, Jimmy Augusti. He says to me, listen, Clinton, um, as much as people seem to be happy with us being a top eight team, with our fan base, I think we should be more of top 14. And um, he says to me, what I'm basically here to tell you is, um, if you don't finish top four, and top four, fifth was the highest the club had ever finished in its history, and that was under me. And um, he then says, if you don't finish in the top four, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to relieve you of your duties. I said to him, firstly, I think you've been very, very unfair. Number one, we've consistently been a a finishing inside the top eight. Number two, last season, seven of my first team regulars were sold off. So basically, um, I felt it was very unfair for the club to come in with such demands Having sold my best players, you know, we had just won a cup. We consistently inside the top eight. I felt I was on a, on a hiding to nothing, you know. So I said to the boss, listen, I, I don't think um, it, it's, it's fair of you to, to put me under such, uh, such pressure. I think you should get somebody else. And, um, and I walked. Um, now, myself and the chairman live on the same estate. So later that day, I get, um, I get a call from him to come up to his house. And um, I go up and he says to me, listen, 
um, have you cooled down? I said, no, have you cooled down? I said, how I was fine in the meeting. Um, he says, no, no. He says, he knows he was un being unreasonable, but he it's his way of pushing me. I said, um, yeah, but, you know, you don't sit in front of the, the other management staff and, and start, start such demands, you know. But he says to me, will you reconsider? I said, with the same demands. He says, yes. I said, no, I won't. Because if I finish fifth, I lose my job. So he says, listen, he's, he'll, he'll accept my decision, but he must say one thing to me. He really, really applauds me for standing up to him. Nobody has ever, has ever stood up to him as the chairman of the club. Now, he's a very aggressive human being, you know, very aggressive. And he reminded me a lot of my dad. You know, same stocky build, strong voice, you know. And I said to him one day, you actually remind me of my father. So that is actually how um, I left. And um, I left Celtics. I then went to Maritzburg for a very short stint at Maritzburg. Um, they were really struggling. I wasn't there for too long. And then the opportunity at um, Golden Arrows came along. And um, again, a very, very good stay for me in terms of what I achieved. The team had just been promoted from the NFD. So I arrived there. The team was mid-table and I arrived midway through the season. Um, basically stabilized the club. We finished ninth. And in that season, I'll never forget, we lost out on a top eight place. Because Supersport United had equalized in the 93rd minute and knocked us out of eighth place. So that's how we lost our place inside in my first season at Arrows. So my first season was a six-month spell, which we done very well. And in the second season, we finished seventh. Um, we really punched above our weight once again. I introduced six players from our reserve team who became regulars that season and are still currently regulars in the team. So, you know, together with the chair lady, who is also the CEO of the Premier League, Mato Madlala, we worked very closely together, recruited together, you know, and... Um, had a very, very mutual, had a mutual respect for each other. And, um, you know, never did I have a problem with her in terms of her demands. She knew what she had in terms of the size of the club and the type of players we had and was very appreciative of the fact that I was not afraid to play these youngsters. And her son was one of these youngsters that were with the club from the age of 10, 11 years old and now were in the early 20s and been given a chance to play in the Premier League. And there was a group of six or eight youngsters that came through. And, um, yeah, so that was my second, my first full season. We finished seventh. In my second season, again, seventh position, which later became eighth because Amazulu had a case and had points docked, so we dropped a place. But, again, two full seasons and... Um, and um, I finished in the top eight for both seasons. And the one um, record that I'm proud of as a coach um, is the fact that whenever I've started pre-season with a team in the Premier League, in my 10 seasons in the Premier League, 
on seven occasions, I've always finished inside the top eight when I have finished, started and finished a season. Just just listen to the journey you've been on here and you've gone to these clubs. As you said, you when you were with the clubs, you've just taken them on an upward trajectory, which is fantastic to hear. Can you, just for the listeners that don't get to hear about this, tell us some of the struggles you as a manager has in the current climate of South African professional football? I think um, a lot of the challenges for coaches at, like I've said, small to medium-sized clubs would firstly be lack of facilities. You know, Courtney, the struggles we go through, we don't talk about them in the media. Um, we don't have, some of us don't have video analysts. You know, I've got to record, cut and edit clips of the opponents of my team on my own at some clubs. Some clubs don't have fitness trainers. Can you believe? It's 2020 in the Premier League in South Africa. And sub -club, some clubs don't have analysts. Some clubs don't, some clubs don't have fitness coaches. Um, we, at my last club, didn't have a, a training, a decent training field. The training field was a rugby field full of holes. You know, I couldn't play 11 v 11 on the field, you know. Um, I would get a decent feel maximum twice a week. At the stadium, we'd have our official game on and one other pitch. But two out of six or seven sessions in the week is not good enough. You know, in terms of equipment, at this level, in this day and age, you should never be asking for certain things, you know, in terms of equipment for players. Some clubs don't have GPS, Courtney. You know, so these, I mean, the top five or six clubs have got everything. You know, I'm talking um, your big two, Orlando Pirates and uh, Kaiser Chiefs, Sundown, Supersport, ex-team that was sold, Vitz, Cape Town, Cape Town City. You know, these are very well-established teams um, that, you know, are always in the running to win things because they, they, they aren't short of anything. So these are some of the challenges outside of not being able to recruit the best players. These are some of the challenges. Just touching on that, um, a lot of the chairman, um, you know, this is going to sound very harsh, very blunt, but it's the absolute truth. A lot of the chairman at a lot of the smaller clubs know absolutely nothing about football, Courtney, Zane. Absolutely nothing. And a lot of them are actually illiterate. Have come into money through tenders, through businesses from government and have bought football clubs, you know. So um, to, to deal with them and get them to understand that as a club, you need a medium, a short, medium and long term plan. And you need to get the right people in the club to fulfill this, this, um, uh, this strategy. Um, they don't understand it half of the time. With them, it's just about the next result, you know, and um, they want the next result. You don't have the players. You don't have the training facilities. You don't have equipment. You don't have an analyst and you don't have a fitness trainer. And, and you want results all the time. And you want to beat Sundowns, Chiefs and Pirates every week. So this is the biggest challenge of coaching a small team in South Africa. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every small team. Arrows is a small team, 
but are being run by a very astute businessman, a very shrewd lady who knows football very well. Hence, she is the acting CEO of the Premier League. You know, but you do get other clubs, and I'm not going to mention names. I'm sure you guys have heard of some of them. You do get a lot of other small clubs that are, they call it, they've been run out of the boot of, of a car, so to speak, you know. And it is very, very sad because so many of these clubs have so much potential. If they could just get their house in order in terms of managerial structure, in terms of club structure. But these are some of the things that a lot of the clubs don't focus on, smaller clubs. It's the first team and they don't really care what's happening at the bottom. So development is not taken very seriously in South Africa. And that is the saddest part. You know, I'm having at Premier League level to teach a player how to control a ball, how to, how to open your body upon receiving a ball, technique to use when shooting, when driving a ball 40, 50 meters, using the inside and outside of the foot to pass. We should never be teaching players at this level the basics that should be taught at development. And this is a difference between development in South Africa and so many other parts of the world. Football is taken very serious around, around the globe at developmental level. And in South Africa, it's not. You coached at Bloemfontein Celtic and you were so successful there and, you know, did a great job with that squad. When you were at Bloemfontein Celtics, the current Bafana coach, Molefe Nseke, was your assistant. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say when he was appointed last year, it was a surprise to most fans, to most experts that he got the position. Having worked with him, what did you make of his appointment with the South African national team? Well, firstly, yeah, what a gentleman. The, I call him the gentle giant. What a gentleman he is, Molefi. You know, uh, I think it was in the 2011 season. He came for an interview at the club and, um, you know, I, I could have opted easily for a former player that had his badges to to work with, you know, which a lot of a lot of coaches actually do. You know, they try to bring their buddies in um, that have done the badges. But when he walked through the door, the door, I immediately, you know, knew after five minutes of chatting to him, you know, he had a wealth of football knowledge in his head, you know, and I was eager and keen to see how he could bring that to the table, but more importantly, how he could he could handle himself on the training field. You know, it's one thing talking a game. It's another thing handling, handling a training session, you know. And, you know, um, he didn't let me down. You know, um, we forged a very, very strong bond, him and I. And um, him leaving Celtics was not due to not being happy at the club uh, in terms of his coaching, but it was more from a financial level, you know. Um, and uh, we had a great year together. Like I said, I think we finished sixth or seventh that season, him uh, being my assistant coach. And um, I actually speak to him. We just spoke uh, last week. They won both games, African Cup of Nations qualifiers, and we spoke. He came to see me up in Polokwane a few, a few months ago, you know, and um, I wasn't surprised because of the mere fact that Zayn, when you look at his progression from, he was the under 70 national team coach and then later on the under 20. So there was a natural steady progression in terms of him coaching internationally. You know, then what happened is Stuart Baxter, who's now coaching in India, 
Stuart Baxter was the Bafana coach. And what Stuart done, Stuart would take his two junior national team coaches, under 20, under 23, and rope them in as assistant coaches, which for me was a great uh, um, thing to do. And that's how Malifi became an assistant to Stuart Baxter. You know, having spent many years uh, coaching 17, under 20s, and then being an assistant coach to, um, you know, so in terms of uh, continuity, I think Safa probably looked at it and said, listen, he's got the experience at youth level, at international level. He's worked with Stuart Baxter. Let's give him an opportunity. Pizzo Mosimani has the rarity of winning two league titles. He's now won the uh, CAF Champions League final, um, the holy grail on the continent. You've coached against him. Can you give us some insight into what makes Pizzo so successful? And has his success at Al-Akhli perhaps got you thinking about taking your talents to other parts of Africa as a coach? Yeah, well, firstly, I think um, it's so, I think in his early days at Supersport United, you know, with a very average, mediocre team, he really made it a very competitive team. And it wasn't long after him coming back. He played in Greece, as you may know, you know, so he had that international experience having played abroad. And um, he came back and was given the reins at, 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 at Supersport. And from very early on, you could see he's a good coach, you know, because like I said, back then Supersport didn't have a very strong squad, but were constantly punching above their weight, you know, competing for knockouts. And um, you, it's, it's no surprise. Uh, yes, a lot of people talk about, yes, anybody can go to Sundowns with those players and win trophies, you know. But it's one thing having the players. It's another thing getting them to believe in you as a coach and getting them to play the way you want them to play. So credit really must be given to Pizzo for what he's managed to do, not only in South African football, like you've said, but he's now gone to, to, to Al-Akhli and he's, he's won a second a second Champions League, you know, which is a which is no mean feat, you know. Um, uh, the the opponent um, Zamalek is, is is a powerhouse in African football, and I actually personally sent him a message after the final, both himself and Kevin Johnson, his assistant, because you know we've had our feuds over the years as coaches, and um, it's just great to see uh, two two local coaches flying the flag, South African flag, so high on the continent. And would you consider going to coach in Africa? Is that something on the cards for you, having seen Pizzo and, and, and Kevin go abroad and do really well? Yeah, I think a lot of the South African coaches are currently talking about that. You know, uh, one of my ex-teammates, Courtney, knows uh, Tabojo Malloy. Tabojo played with us. He's coaching in Lesotho next door. You know, it's a country in South Africa, by the way, if you don't know Lesotho. <laughs> so Lesotho is um, an hour's drive from, from Bloemfontein, you know, and um, Tabojo Malloy, about three or four. Listeners out there, we'd say it's almost like San Marino. Exactly. <laughs> or Monaco. Without or Monaco. <laughs> True. So Tabojo, Tabojo uh, was appointed the head coach of one of the bigger teams in in um, in Lesotho about three to four weeks ago, and he hasn't been um, coaching in the Premier League for a good four seasons, three to four seasons. So it was good for him. So I think coaches are starting to look outside of the country now and say, listen, there may be opportunities there. You know, I know for one, my agent 
Mike McCarvey is looking outside as well. You know, he's he's looking at places even in the Middle East, you know, um, and on the African continent. I was contacted by an, an, an Ivory Coast team uh, a couple months ago, but um, I didn't feel they were serious enough. So, you know, I didn't go forward with, 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 with the talks. Um, so, yeah, if the opportunity, if the right opportunity comes, I'll definitely consider it. But um, like I said, Pizzo, Kevin, and, and the, the South African guys that went over to Al-Akhli are really, really opening doors for others and, and putting South African cultures on the map in a big, big way. Clinton, we want to look at, you've been very gracious with your time, firstly. Thank you very much. And you've spoken broadly on all aspects at the moment. But, and you've touched on this in some of what you were just talking about earlier. What, what is next for yourself? What is your next step you want to take in your managerial career? Well, it's, it's not an easy question, Courtney. Um, for me, um, at the moment, like I've said, um, you know, we, we're trying, because of COVID, it hasn't been easy as well in terms of uh, doing your badges. But, um, you know, I'm looking to, to get my pro license. Um, it's something I'd like to start in, 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 the, in the near future. Um, whether it's my CAF Pro license on the continent or whether it's a UEFA Pro license, I'd like to I'd like to get that done. Uh, but I think domestically, um, you know, something I, I said to my agent was I need to start choosing the projects I get involved in a little bit more with more of a fine tooth comb, you know, um, because. As much as I've said earlier, you know, it's the same old, same old with most of the clubs, the smaller clubs in the league. Um, I do feel that um, it won't be long before I do get an opportunity at at, at one of the, the more serious clubs. And I, when I say serious, I mean, you've got the likes of uh, your Cape Town City. I'm not saying uh, the coaches, they aren't doing a great job, but I'm talking in the next five to ten years. You know, to, to really be in a situation to, to, to be at a club that is very well structured, whose owners really understand how to run a football club, how to engage with coaches, how to work with coaches. You know, that for me would really be a breath of fresh air, because like I said, a lot of us coaches coaching and going around in circles at the smaller clubs in the league really go through the same challenges year in, year out. You know, so for me, I'm hoping that... Um, in the not too distant future, I do get an opportunity. But like Zayn asked earlier, if it comes from outside of the country, uh, it's something I, I will definitely consider. Thank you, Clinton, for coming on to the show. Thank you, Courtney, for bringing one of your best pads on. This has been absolutely fascinating to listen to. And um, before we go, Clinton, I'm going to ask the last question. Um, we did a fan forum once on on the whistle, where fans could get in touch with us and talk to us and ask us questions and. Many out there would know that Courtney Freeze is two things. He's a former Premier Soccer League winner with Manning Rangers. Mm -hmm. He holds the Spirit Cup in his over 35 team for being the most enthusiastic <laughs> player. Brilliant award. An award I never wanted but hold. <laughs> you hold it so well. And we had a Manning Rangers fan on the show, Nimlin, and we said, Nimlin, what was Courtney like as a player? How would you describe him? And Nimlin said, Courtney Freeze was the full Neville of South African football before full Neville. So I'd love to know your perspective, Clinton, on what Courtney was like. <laughs> when I played Clinton, which was on a very rare occasion. <laughs>
Zane, let's not talk about his uh, over 35 duties. Let me let me tell you about the Courtney I knew at Manning Rangers. Firstly, your the word you use, enthusiastic, I think couldn't be more fitting for Courtney. Uh, Courtney, you know, every single day was was uh, what, what's this? When you jump out the box, something jack, jack in the box. box, you know, full of enthusiasm, full of energy. Yes, he was young at the time when he joined us, but um, he brought that energy to the team. Uh, but also, as tough as nails, never pull out of challenges. You know, that's one thing I remember mm -hmm. about Courtney. He was very, very brave on the field, never shirked a challenge from the day I met him. Uh, I don't know if he's pulling out of them now, but... <laughs> Well, I, I've got to go to work on a Monday, Clinton, you know, uh, being the head of a school, I cannot be going there with injuries. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, but, but honestly speaking, Court, uh, you know, um, it wasn't easy to make that Manning Rangers team, firstly, because, you know, we, we want the biggest names in South African football, but we were a very tight-knit group and very competitive, you know, even training. We wanted to be the fastest. We wanted to be the fittest. Everything we done, there was competition throughout the team. And that's what got us to levels nobody expected us to get to, you know. Um, I remember the, the coach would get in the car and we'd chase the car, doing cross-country runs, 10, 10 kilometers, you know. And he'd put 100 rand uh, as the win, win bonus and um, we, we'd be flying, you know. But... These are some of the things that really brought us together as a team. And I must say, you know, uh, the fortunate part of everything was the fact that winning the league allowed us as a group to also explore the continent, going to Ivory Coast, Tanzania, Morocco and places, you know, um, really allowed us to, as a group, get even closer together, get to know each other. You know, there's a few stories I've got about the continent. Um, let's let's leave them for another time, Zane. But Courtney knows what I'm he knows what I'm talking about. You know, you know, Clinton. These days, Netflix is around the world, and um, I definitely think if we can get the right story and we can get the right backers behind it, there's a great little series to be done on Manning Rangers. Um. And team from Chatsworth. Yeah, social media would have also killed us, Zane. <laughs> social media would have finished no, us. No doubt about it, Zane. It's, it wasn't an easy club to play for when, when the chairman of the club owns a nightclub. Eh? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a... Uh, oh, oh, gosh. Uh, and, 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 you, you... and we lived above it. <laughs> My wife keeps asking me to start the book I've been promising to write, you know, oh. and uh, honestly speaking, I think I'm going to start it because there are such great, great memories, you know, from Manning Rangers. Like I said, I went through so many coaches and each coach was so funny in his own way. We had so many different personalities within the team. I'm talking teammates. You know, one day, um, one of the players, we were running around the race course, solo, same solo in Demandi, decides to run across the golf course to cheat, and we caught him on the other side, and he got a smack from one of our big defenders, you know, so, so yeah, we, we, we've got um, some great stories, uh, but, oh, what amazing okay. times, eh? We'll we'll take it offline. Maybe there's something we can maybe there's <laughs> we can get in the pipeline. 
No doubt. Clinton Larson, thank you for joining us along the whistle. We've loved having you on. Courtney, he's got an open invite. He can come back anytime he wants. Anytime. Absolutely. It's lovely to talk to you again, my friend. I wish you all the best in the career moving forward. And like I said, wherever you land, let's make this a part two. We would love to interview with you again. We're That's not a definite. We're not worthy. Yeah. Thank you so much, Zane. Thank you so much, Courtney. I hope you guys and your families are also safe during these trying times. And um, I wish you all of the best, guys. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much once again.